This is Working the Beat. It is Thursday night in the Friday, July 16, 2020. I'm Kevin Coney. Mike Kern will join us in a minute. Glad you could join us as we head towards another weekend, another jam, another weekend closer to sports. And this time next Friday, well, this time next week, we will have the return of Major League Baseball. And so... With that in mind, we have the fine writer from The Athletic, Phillies writer from The Athletic, back Gelb. He will join us this evening to talk all things Phillies as we head into this abbreviated season, where they are, kind of the change in atmosphere with Joe Girardi, everything we had talked about back in March when they were in Clearwater, we can kind of talk about again, and that's a fairly nice feeling to talk about. So Matt Gelb will join us in a minute or two to talk Phillies and Second half of the show, Mike and I will talk some various topics. The lead one tonight, of course, the Washington Post story that came out on Thursday afternoon, alleging 15 members, former members of the Washington Redskins organization, alleging that they were sexually harassed by members of the front office. Not players. This is members of the front office, uh, player personnel directors and heads of broadcasting and all that, and the culture that existed uh, that has existed under Dan Snyder for an organization that's already got troubles is looking to change the direction under Ron Rivera and obviously changing their nickname um, in the not too distant future. Uh, it's another body blow and uh, it'll be interesting to see where the NFL takes that. So Mike and I will talk about that. We'll kick around a few other topics as the Sixers are in the bubble. Zion Williamson leaves the bubble today for a family emergency. Um, so it's um, it's interesting. It's interesting that... Uh, anyway, so anyway, uh, we're glad you could join us. Next week, Spike Eskin will join us at on Tuesday to talk about the Sixers and their reboot. And then we're going to get Jason Martinez hopefully on next weekend before the Flyers start their reboot as everything gets going, everything's cranking, everything's starting to get geared up, even while the rest of the world seems to be um, a little bit chaotic. So we hope you will join us as we keep going forward and keep doing these shows. But as when we come back, it will be Matt Gelb. Now the long time, he's been on the beat, I think, for over a decade. Uh, beat writer for uh, originally the Philadelphia Inquirer, now for the Athletic. We'll talk Phillies baseball. That's next as Work and Beat continues right after these messages. We're going to reach the sports fans of Philadelphia in a brand new way. This is Kevin Cooney. Each week, the Work and Beat podcast with Mike Kern and I brings the hottest topics into this sports crazed town with the people and the events that shape the landscape. Now, your business could connect with those people by advertising on the Work of the Beat podcast. Join us at 267-546-7277 or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia, and you can be a part of it. That's 267-546-7277 or workingthebeat at gmail.com to join the Work of the Beat podcast family. And joining us now, for 10 years, he's been the beat writer for the Philadelphia Phillies, first for the Philadelphia Inquirer, now for the Athletic. Uh, he, he, we are glad to have him on. It's Matt Gell. Matt, how are you? 
I'm all right, guys. I've actually felt better. Uh, tonight for dinner, I had a uh, had a small bowl of white rice with butter and Pedialyte. That's uh, thanks Ugh. to uh, a little bit of a stomach thing, I guess. So I wasn't at the ballpark. Is that is that t- today? Is you got to play hurt, Matt. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't want to get. I mean, I don't think I don't think I'm contagious. I didn't want to get anyone sick, so um, just play it safe these days. And uh, you know, I think I can live. I can live without another. I think I've seen enough intra-squad scrimmages. I think for for a lifetime. Last me for a lifetime exactly. now. So, um, let, let's first congratulate Matt. He he is a father. Uh, little girl. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, Lucy turned three months old. Uh, two uh, two days ago. Actually, yesterday. Sorry, I forget what day it is. I don't even know what day it is anymore. <laughs> yeah, she turned uh, three months, and and uh, she's amazing. Yeah. Changes your your life will never be the same, yep. brother, in a good way. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think we would have, you know, we didn't envision, you know, having a baby in the middle of a pandemic, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's been really rewarding so far. And, and, uh, uh, she's awesome. Uh, Matt, obviously, let's, let's get to the baseball. And, and the first one that fascinates me, I have not been able to get down there. And I don't know when I'm going to get down there at this point, but what, is the atmosphere you talk about the you know the inner squad games and everything is it bizarre being in that ballpark with nobody around yeah it really is i mean and i i used to tell people that my favorite time of day you know during a normal baseball game and normal you know work day in a normal world was when i would get to the ballpark at about two or two thirty and it's empty. And like i love that i love that feeling um it almost feels like it's it's like your little secret uh, but, but it doesn't feel that way right now. Like even in an empty ballpark, it just feels, it feels eerie. Uh, it's almost dystopian in a way, uh, you know, they're pumping in this like fake crowd noise right. and they're doing the scoreboard and Dan Baker is, you know, announcing the lineups and, you know, welcoming people to the ballpark and there aren't any fans in the ballpark. So it's, uh, it's different. Uh, I understand that they have to try and, and I, and I think, you know, they've, they've thought a lot about this and, and, and they are trying, they have to try. Um, we'll see. I mean, I think once you introduce the travel element to it, I, I really think, uh, you know, th- that that's what could derail this. Mike. Yeah. Okay. Let me get into this. Man. I don't have any problem with them trying to do this. I think there's going to be issues in all the sports that are coming back, but okay. But why do you have to fake it up by, making it sound like there's people there. We know there's not people there. We Like, why can't they just play the games and accept the fact and say, hey, you know, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do in the NBA or the NHL. Maybe they're going to do the same things. I have no idea, but I don't know. That, that would only make me feel worse. So there's actually a strategic element to it. I mean, I'll tell you this. The first few games and practices where they weren't using any sort of noise or any music – I am sitting in the press box and I could hear just about every conversation. <laughs> yeah. And so if you think about it, if you're the other team uh, sitting in the other dugout during a, a real major league baseball regular season game with no sound, there is some actual strategic compromise there. Like you can't have conversations like the catcher, for example, Joe Girardi mentioned this, you know, if it's loud, if there's enough noise, a catcher can kind of take, he can kind of like, slide one step to his left if he's kind of setting up outside or, or, or if, if, if it's to a left-handed pitcher or mm-hmm. a left-handed hitter, excuse me. And, and 
if you if there's no noise, a hitter might be able to hear that. I mean, seriously, that that <laughs> is that that is part of the reason why they're going to do this. Uh, I think they could probably improve like the the soundtrack that they gave uh, you know all these clubs, but I mean it's it's an un, it's a, not not ideal circumstances you know for a lot of reasons, and they're just going to have to you know roll with it. Let's look at the yeah. fi- let's look at the financial end of this map because you've been pretty good at, about breaking down how baseball's finances may change going forward because uh, nobody knows. But if they don't get to October, if they don't get that playoff money from from Fox and and Turner and all that, I mean, they're really going to bleed money, aren't they? Well, I mean, I think even if they do get there, I, look, I mean, talking to people in the industry, uh, whether it's somebody in player development, whether it's a scout, whether it's an executive, uh, whether it's a player, an agent, I mean, there's a belief that come, you know, this November, I mean, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot of people laid off. There's not going to be a lot of money spent uh, on player payroll. Mm-hmm. There's going to be, you know, significant budget tightening, budget tightening. And, you know, again, because we don't have access to some of these, you know, to all these teams books, you know, we have to take some people for their word. And, and I know that the players union ha- has, has really questioned some of the accounting that the, the league has put out there. Uh, you know, you can look at it a few different ways. I mean, that maybe the, the teams aren't losing money, but they're cer- they certainly will not make as much money uh, this year as they would in a normal year. I think we can all agree on that. I think that's a, I think we can agree on that. They won't make as much money. Maybe they aren't all losing money, but it stands to reason that some of them are losing money. Um, there's going to be a lot of tough decisions. I mean, we've seen front offices grow. I mean, I'm working on a story right now about sort of the future of player development. It's been like an arms race across all these organizations mm-hmm. to kind of just, you know, technology and personnel and uh, facilities and, the minor leagues are going to be forever changed. Uh, and I think you're going to see a lot of cuts in that area. You're going to see smaller farm systems. You're going to see just smaller operations, period. And there's going to be a lot of good people who lose their jobs. And it's it's really scary. Matt, where do you, along that line, where do you see the Phillies in all this? I mean. Hard to say. I mean, like, you know, they. I, I think a lot of their full-time employees have been really happy with the way they've been treated. Uh, there weren't any furloughs. There weren't any layoffs yet. There were pay cuts for uh, people who were making a certain amount of money. Over 50 grand, uh, right? Was yeah, that I think it was 90, okay. actually. So they did try to, they did try to, you know, help their, you know, lower salaried people out. And I think, I think generally the people who work for the Phillies have thought they've done a good job of helping out their employees, but I think they'll have layoffs. I mean, I don't think they're going to be exempt from all this. I guess the question will be how many layoffs and, and where do they do the layoffs and, uh, again, because we don't know what 2021 is going to look like. No, I mean, there might be fans in the stands. Let's say there are fans in the stands. I, you know, when's the next time I've been asking people this, when's the next time you think citizens bank park will be completely sold out packed to the capacity? When, when do you think that'll happen again? If there's a vaccine, um, maybe next July or August. I mean, seriously. I mean, if there's a vaccine over to winter, Maybe it'll. Some people will take half a season to get back. I don't know. I mean, that's a great question. Yeah. I I yeah. can't answer it. I mean, it, it takes a lot though to. It would take a lot for people to come back, and I think people are going to get used to watching it on more on television than they ever did before. 
I think it, it, it almost trains you, hey, I'm paying this much. They don't have disposable income maybe the way they had in the past. So I think that those are all legitimate points. And then there's the fear of getting sick. So. Yeah, and I think, look, like they can cut as much as they want from their analytics department or their scouting department or their player development or their business side. But what is, what is a team's largest expense? Players. It's player payroll. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I think you're going to see, you know, I think it would be foolhardy to, to think that the Phillies will have the same, uh, you know, payroll they, they have this year, next year. It, it will be smaller. Uh, and, and I think the big question is how much smaller and, and – you know, I think you're going to see teams, major league franchises that spend $0 on free agents this offseason. Like, I think that's yeah. very, very plausible, and I think it'll happen in multiple markets. Mike? Yeah, and Kevin, along what you just said, too, let's say there's a vaccine in February. I'm just throwing out it. That doesn't mean by July or August that everybody's going to have the vaccine or everybody's going to – No, you're right. You know, so you're right. It's, it's probably going to take a while. But, Matt – the, the, uh, there was a story, I'm assuming you saw it, about A-Rod coming out basically for socialism um, as a potential new owner of the Mets and thinks there should be a salary cap, pretty much, is what he's saying. What do you think it had? How do you think that's going to go over with the players? Well, it won't go over well with the players. I mean, they, they've they forever have, you know, stood against the salary cap. But, I, look, it, first of all, like, it, it looks ridiculous that he's saying that right now yes. because he's bidding bidding to purchase a franchise so is he just trying to like curry favor with the rest of the owners who have to yeah and he, and he did pretty well by there not being a salary cap exactly but i'll say this i i think there you know there could be a path to a salary cap if there is a respectable salary floor yeah if the players mm-hmm. look there already is effectively a salary cap this luxury tax limit yeah. has been treated you know by by the bigger market teams as uh, as a cap, it's not a hard cap, but a lot of teams will use it as a hard cap. So if I'm the players, I'm looking at that and I'm saying, we need to get something for this. We need to get free agency sooner. We need to get free agency after four years or after five years instead of after six years. And if there's going to be this sort of salary cap, then we need a salary floor. We want to make sure the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Miami Marlins are spending $150 million at the bare minimum. Yeah. If the salary cap is going to be 210 you know, which is like roughly what the luxury tax is right, right. now, then we're, we need to get something out of this. Because right now, there's teams that don't spend $100 million on payroll. And, so, and you look at the NHL, you look at the NBA, you look at the NFL, they all have salary floors that go with their caps. So there is a right. – and it's not a huge difference between top and bottom. Yeah. Well, I don't think you can have one without the other, Kevin. No, you have to. No, you can't. No, and then, like I know the salary cap is, is like, a, is like a, a curse word essentially. I mean, like you can't – and I understand that. I mean, for baseball, it has a strong union, and they're the last sport that doesn't have a salary cap, and it's for a reason. I mean, they've fought for it for a long time. Uh, but I think given what's going to happen to the economic landscape of the sport, you know, because of the pandemic, uh, you know, I mean, I think they should they should start looking at this in a bigger picture and start trying to get things. You know, the reality is salary cap or no salary cap, Free agent spending is going to go down. It's been going down. It's going to go down even more. Yeah. Matt Gelb joins us from uh, The Athletic. Hey, Matt, obviously when you bring up finances with everybody in in this area, they look at the real Muto situation. Are the Phillies still, in your mind, the favorites to land him because of what you said, that there's not going to be much of a market out there that's going to be willing to spend the free agent money the way you would expect in a normal year? 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 you know, it is it's it stinks because both sides, you know, want this to happen, but uh the question that I keep hearing and talking to people about it is how do you define what is fair right now? Mm-hmm. How do you define what is fair for JT Realmuto? Like should he settle right now for a number that he wouldn't have settled for before or should he go just test himself on the market? And how do the Phillies define what is fair right now? I mean, should they just bid against themselves and set the market for a player who they like, but know that his market is probably like really small compared to what it was before. I mean, even real Muto admitted it when he talked to us uh, two weeks ago. I mean, he, he's like, look, I hope the top guys are still going to get paid, but you know, he understands that, you know, the market for him might be smaller than it was. I th- and the way I see it is just, I think the Phillies are just going to, they're, they're going to slow play it. I mean, they almost have to, they know that the player likes, likes it here, but they know that that, the player knows that they want to re-sign him. And I think he'll go to free agency. And I think the Phillies will always be there saying, we are here. We have, you know, we will keep, we will bid, we will make offers. If there's someone that's willing to, to give you X amount of dollars and we'll give you X amount of dollars plus 10. Uh, I'm, look, uh, $10. <laughs> I'm looking, I'm looking at their, at their projected contracts for next year. They have 118 million on the books already. Uh, or projected. It's a lot. It is. Yeah. And you have five. You have four players who are over fourteen million already in Harper, Wheeler, McCutcheon, and, and Jay Bruce officially. Um, so they 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 are kind of boxed in already, even with Arietta's contract coming off the books. And you would assume that they would they would probably you know throw somebody a little younger and cheaper into that spot in the rotation. They're they're they don't have a lot of wiggle room on their on their salaries going forward. They I'm sorry, some, Segura, not, not, Segura, not Bruce. Um, I'm sorry. I said Bruce, it was Segura. My apologies. Go ahead. Right, right, right. Segura's in a contract, yeah. Um, they have some wiggle room. Not not a lot, though. And, and and some of it, you know, there is Robertson's salaries coming off and Arietta's salaries coming off. And, uh, you know, there is some Gregorius's money comes off. But, you know, then you're like, well, well they have to fill shortstop. They have mm-hmm. to basically fill a whole bullpen. Um, they're probably, you know, they might need another starting pitcher. Um, so, I mean, there are some considerations here and, and the game has been trending younger, uh, for, for a while now. And, and I think, you know, if they get, if they see what they like this year out of Spencer Howard and Alec Bohm, then maybe that, you know, and they know that they have contributors making, you know, near the major league minimum, like a solid middle of the rotation starter, and a solid third baseman then they can go spend a little more money on the catcher. They can go spend a little more money uh, on an eighth-inning reliever. Um, so they, they need those younger players to rise up because right now the, the roster is top-heavy in terms of payroll. There's not a lot of guys uh, who, who are playing near the league minimum other than Reese Hoskins and then whoever's going to play center field for them. Uh, so they, they need some of those younger guys to really step up, and it's kind of been the issue for years now is they haven't been very good at drafting and developing. Yeah. Mike, yeah. so so DD's going to wear a mask because of his kidney condition, which to me makes perfect sense. But I'm just wondering, Matt, do you see a, a fair amount of other players maybe doing some the same thing? And in this world that we live in now, where there's so much backlash either way, you know, wear the mask, don't wear the mask, whatever. Do you see any kind of um, like fallout from that, either from within or I think more from without? You know, people who are just like anti-mask who are going to look at him maybe and say, yeah, you know, that ain't right, where I think he's perfectly right. 
Yeah, I mean, the people who are anti-mask, I, I don't know if there's anything. Well, they're out there. Or say. I know, yeah. no, I know they are. I don't know if there's anyone, any, any, I don't think there's anything anyone can say or do to yeah. change their mind. I, I, I applaud Gregorius for, for being outspoken and saying, you know, he kind of wishes that everybody was doing it. And actually, Gene Segura, who's, who's you know, going to be playing alongside him on the infield, uh, has been wearing a mask in the field uh, every day. And, you know, just from being at the ballpark, I've been impressed. I will, I will say this by, by the, you know, by the guys adhering to it. I mean, when they're not on the field, uh, you know, in non-game situations, when they're not on the field, they're wearing masks. Like when they're walking into the stands to go get food or to leave, uh, the players are always wearing masks. And every step, every staff member, every coach is wearing a mask at all times. Good for uh, them. Yeah, I've been impressed by it. And I've actually been – I was surprised at the amount of Phillies players who have been wearing masks while they play. It's been quite a few guys. Nick Williams, uh, Logan Forsyth, uh, D.D., Gene Segura, uh, someone else that I'm forgetting about right now. Hoskins. A couple guys. Hoskins has tried it out at times, yep. So I've – to be honest with you, I mean, like I'm not very athletic and I wear a mask. You know, when I when I take my daughter out for a walk in South Philly, and like I don't know, it it is annoying. Like it is it is not the greatest thing in the world. And when it's hot out, especially like yeah, it can be hard to wear it. But uh, these guys uh, have found kind of material they like, and I, I was surprised to see the amount of guys who were wearing them while they play. And I'll be curious to see if that uh, grows or shrinks during the season. Matt, yeah. Matt, when you look at it, obviously, you're not going to judge anybody over 60 games. I mean, you're not making long-term judgments on a player because it's going to be such a short sample size. Uh, but this was going to be a big year, I thought, for Reese Hoskins. He's entering the arbitration years. You know, there, there, there's talk of maybe, you know, if you know, if the DH comes in, he goes there. Maybe, maybe if they find a third baseman, they like Boehm goes over to first or whatever. Uh where do you think Hoskins is right now entering this and how big a year would this have been? I, I almost, I don't know how to phrase the question, but how big a year is it for him to show that he corrected things from what happened last year? Yeah. We might not necessarily be like judging all of the final numbers. Right. But you right. want to see, you know, you want to see improvement. You want to see that new swing that he has really tinkered with uh, and went back and thought a lot about. You want to see it uh, generate some results, some hard-hit balls, uh, even if the final numbers might not be there, because you're right. I mean, 60 games, you know, for a guy like Hoskins, he, we've seen this. I mean, he is extremely streaky. So are we going to get, you know, if we get 60 games of the hot Hoskins or 60 games of the cold Hoskins, does that mean that the other 100 games would have been better or worse? Like, it's just... 60 games is oh, it's, it's tough. hard. I yeah. mean, because we're all going to want to make judgments about it, but it's going to be, you know, but it, it's going to be hard to make judgments about it. And you're right. I mean, like, you know, they're going to have to make judgments because going, you know, they're trying to plot the future and they need to know, you know, relatively, you know, where does he stand in our future plans? And you're going to have to make some decisions on it. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, this is, he's one of the more fascinating guys to me. Uh, he's thought a lot about, how to how to be better, and he kind of scrapped a lot of stuff. I think Joe Dillon, the heading coach, the new hitting coach, has been uh, you know really good for him. So I don't know. I mean, I've seen the swing; it looks good. I, you know, I don't know. These scrimmages are well, yeah, and, I, hard to and I get that. It, 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 but again, like 
you know, and I said this the other day, like you're not judging the GM off of 60 games. You're not judging the manager off of 60 games. You kind of know what the manager is already after his track record. But like you can't judge anybody off of 60 games. And, and that's the the tricky part. You're playing for something, but you're not you really can't mortgage the entire future for 60 games or you can't base the future just off 60 games. No, I mean, you're right. I mean, no GM's going to get fired. I mean, yeah. unless there's some sort of oh, malpractice failure somewhere, yeah. but yeah, I mean, so if we're not going to judge the people in charge off of 60, cause it's too small of a sample, then how fair is it to judge players, uh, players off of that? And look, just for an example, Reese Hoskins, first 60 games last year, Mm-hmm. He hit 273 with a 926 OPS. I mean, his first 60 games last year, you're thinking, sign this guy to a multi-year extension. Yeah, I mean, what? He's 16. a cornerstone. At that point, he had like 16 or 17, or not 16 or 17, but he had like 13 or 14 home runs, right? 13 homers in the first 60 games. Right. Yep. And he had, what, 10 the rest of the year? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. No, no, he had 16 the rest of the 16 year. 16 the rest so. of the year, so... Uh, so I mean that's he's a streaky guy. So like if we see sixty good games of Hoskins, we probably shouldn't overreact. And if we see sixty bad games of Hoskins, we shouldn't overreact either. But you know, I mean, we're going to probably because it's all we're going to see. Mike, yeah. so so Matt Kingry comes back and apparently was pretty sick. Uh, talked about it a little bit, and now we're hearing all these things about. You know, we don't know what kind of effect this has on a guy. You know, we're hearing Rudy Gobert still has issues with certain things. Uh, and I think he's a pretty important guy to the Phillies. What, what, do you think that there will – yeah, I know you're not a doctor, but that there could be a long-term effect to this thing or once he gets back and he's playing, you know, for the most part, he's going to be what he is? I, I think – well, we have no idea, but I do think they're going to play it safe with him. Like, I mean, okay. I think even if he makes the team, which I think he will, I think he'll be ready for opening day. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to see him playing every day to start. Okay. I really think they're going to try to go easy on him. You know, they did a lot of testing for his lungs and EKG. You know, they did more than the normal sort of testing for a guy who was coming back, you know, right. from an injury, right? Because this isn't an injury. I mean, this is something that we just don't really have a handle on yet. So I, I think he'll be ready for opening day. And I also think that they're going to work in either Josh Harrison or Neil Walker or Logan Forsythe into that second base mix. And, uh, you know, Segura is going to be the third baseman no matter what. Even if Kingery is not playing, they're going to keep Segura at third base. And I think that's a good decision. Try to keep these guys in one spot. Uh, don't move them around unless you absolutely have to. So I think that will help Kingery is that he's not um, having to worry about where he's playing, you know, on top of worrying about whether, you know, he's healthy and this illness is behind him. So, I think you'll see him play it safe with him. I really do. Um, and, and for the long-term effects, gosh, I mean, I hope there's none. But, I mean, yeah. there's so much to this. We don't know. It's we, scary. Did, it really he is. Was real, he was really sick, right, Matt? Because the, Yeah. It, yeah, I mean, like one of those, um, you know, kind of like a Freddie Freeman thing. Absolutely. I mean, he was sick for a little while. And then the biggest thing is that, you know, once these guys, you know, are asymptomatic, they're still testing positive because the virus doesn't, you know, leave your system necessarily once you're asymptomatic and, you know, to return to action, you have to pass two tests, uh, 24 hours apart. Uh, and some of these guys are still testing positive weeks after they were showing symptoms. And that's the thing is that if you do get sick, if you do get a positive test, 
know, you might be out for at least a month. I mean, Kingery was dealing with his, he didn't, he, after he got the first got the symptoms, he didn't get a negative two negative tests until about a month after work. And if you if you miss a month this year, you're 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 toast. That's half for the, the season. Year. Yeah, um, <laughs> Matt, Matt, maybe Kevin. That much. We've heard some of these players. One of the biggest complaints, not just in baseball, but most in the other sports as well, is that the testing just isn't working. It's not fast enough. It's not. Do, do you see this as being a real problem when we start actually? Playing and traveling, you, you almost can't wait for a guy for three or four days to get a test result back, right? It might be a problem. I mean, it was definitely a problem 10 days ago. Uh, it seems like they've fixed some of those problems. They opened mm-hmm. another lab. Uh, but yes, I mean, there, there are still problems that are cropping up. And, and, you know, if there's any question about a guy's test, he's not going to be allowed at the ballpark. And that maybe that's your starter for that day. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it's your third baseman or maybe it's Bryce Harper. I mean, who knows? So, I mean, I, I think what, what we all need to accept is that the product we're going to see on the field this year is uh, not work. going to be what we're used to. No. Uh, there's going to be teams that are missing guys, important guys for extended periods. There's going to be moments where, a starter is scratched at the last minute because, uh, you know, his test comes back. Or I mean, there's just you're going to see players who probably shouldn't be in the big leagues in the big leagues because teams need to field teams. And I still don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I, I think uh, the product does matter, even if it's just 60 games. But uh, I, I think we're going to see a, a little bit of a compromised product here. A lot of pitchers. <laughs> there's yeah. going to be a lot of pitchers. A lot of pitching changes too, which is going to. You know, even with the three-hitter rule, it's going to be a lot of pitching changes. Sure. Which leads me to the next question. And this goes back to spring training one. Uh, have you sensed more of a structure with this team under Girardi than there was the last couple of years? And I'm not saying that just as a random go ahead and take a cheap shot at Gabe. But, it, you know, here's a guy who has some some weight in the game going in, yeah. uh, coming in. Yeah, I mean, there was more structure in spring training. I would say right now there's, like, I mean, I don't know. Like, there's as much, I don't know if much structure, structure as now. there could yeah. be. I mean, it's like, you know, they're trying to – it's rare that a lot of these guys are together all at once because they're trying to stagger the workouts and everything, and it, it is pretty strange. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's more structure. Like, Joe Girardi has some rules. I mean, he's uh, – he tried to instill those in the spring, and, you know, a lot of that goes out the window now because there's just – uh, nothing normal about this, but I will say, I think, you know, managing a pitching staff is going to be, you know, really crucial this year. It's crucial every year. I think more so this year though. Um, you know, he's going to have to know when to take a guy out. He's going to have to know, you know, how long to push some of these long relievers that are going to be backing up the starters. He's going to have to look, I mean, their bullpen right now is kind of a mess. Yeah. I mean, like after Hector Neris, there's really no righty, that you trust back there. Uh, it And he's going to be tested here to see if he can uh, squeeze as much as he can out of that bullpen. And, and he's known as a good manager of a bullpen. And, and I think uh, if he's going to make a difference, that's where he's going to make a difference. So, so Matt, has it sunk into you that a, a week from tomorrow, hopefully you're going to be in that stadium watching the game for the first time in that counts. too long, I guess? No. <laughs> No, I mean, it still feels like it's not real. Like, I, I can't even picture it in my head still. And I know it's probably going to happen, but I, I just can't I can't see it. Um, and it's going to be 
it's going to be so strange. And, uh, you know, I hope this works. I do. I mean, there's a lot of people, you know, on, on, on Twitter and, and everywhere who's like, thinks that, you know, if you're being skeptical about this, that means that you just, you're rooting against it. And yeah. I can tell you, I'm not rooting against it. I mean, like my, my, my job probably, you know, depends on there being baseball and, and there's a lot of people in this game that I, that I care deeply about and their jobs might depend uh, on there being baseball or not. So, don't misplace my skepticism for, you know, rooting against it. I'm rooting mm-hmm. for this. If it can be done safely, you know, um, I hope it can, but uh, I am skeptical. I really am. Well, and, and uh, you and I are on the same lines. And even though I'm not in it like I used to be, I mean, you know, you worry about, you know, the PR people, the the clubhouse people, everybody that we run into during the course of a long year, you develop relationships with them. And you know that if there's no season, even within our business, you know, if there's going to be no season, then, then the sport takes another step back. People lose their jobs and, and, and the business suffers and it's not guaranteed. It, there's no guarantee it'll ever recover with the way it's going right now. No, not at all. Um, a logistical question. Uh, how much we were talking about the press box set up down at CBP. How many of you guys are going to be traveling? That's a good question. I, I can't speak for some of the other writers, but I, I won't be traveling. I mean, I, I, unless, you know, near the end of the season, things have gotten better and the Phillies are, you in know, contention. really in it. Um, and you're probably okay with, I'm guessing you're probably okay with that. I am right now, Mike. Just, yeah, for now, uh, for now, right. Yeah, I, like, look, I mean, my, my job has changed dramatically. I mean, the, the access is is gone, and, and I understand that. I mean, it's 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 right now. Um, these are these are difficult times, and it's a and you got a th- and you got a three month old at home, so yeah, that's part that. of it. I mean, I think yeah. yeah, if I was if I was a younger single guy, I think uh, you know I, I, I would probably be traveling this year. Um, even though I'd, I'm not sure there's that much value in it because yeah, I mean, really, I mean, they have you know, there's no added, there's no access. Yeah, there's really no ad. I mean, like I, I think being there and seeing the game is really important because there's only going to be so much you're going to be able to get from the, the the TV feed, and I don't want to be somebody who's sitting at home, you know, watch, writing and watching a game off TV because that's not what I do. I mean, I, I'm there to talk to people and see things. And mm-hmm. um, but for right now, I, I think this is you know personally, I mean, like it's just a decision that I, I feel the most comfortable with. Matt, if you were the guy running the sport. Do you think that baseball would have been better off doing what the NF, NHL and NBA are doing with a bubble, or or does that have its own set of problems as we're finding out, or or is really no system better than another? It's just a different. I, I think because baseball needs more time than those other sports. Remember, those mm-hmm. sports are near the end of their seasons, basically. Right. Right. I just didn't think the bubble was realistic for baseball. It, it would have been too much. It would have been too big of an ask for mm-hmm. some of these guys to not be with their families for, you know, three plus months. Right. Um, I, I, I think logistically it would not have worked. You would have had to, I don't know. Like, I mean, in the NBA, they can at least like, they can set up all these courts, you know, yeah. but in baseball, like you would have been playing like quadruple headers on one field. And I, I mm-hmm. don't know. Well, I, and, I just, and you would have been playing yeah. 120 degrees in, in Arizona in August. I mean, you know, if they had put the bubble in Arizona and, it, it, like they talked about, everybody in Arizona. But it could have went to Saskatchewan, Kevin. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, they should have you know, you gone to like Ed- Minneapolis Edmonton. or know, somewhere cool, <laughs> Seattle, but there's not a lot of fields in Seattle. No, no. but I mean, the, the point the point is that 
and, and you know, this goes to a bigger topic that uh, that I want to get into than tonight. Um, you know, the sport, the sport. This has been the most damaging. I mean, the, of all the other t- entities, only college sports is going to suffer as much as baseball. When all said and college, done, college sports well, are going to well, suffer. We don't know. That's what yeah. we don't. You're probably right, but we don't know that yet. Let's let's see what happens. But, but that's the, the only comparison. The, MB, so. the NBA and the NHL are made a lot of money during the regular season. Baseball. Yeah, you're right. right. Yeah, you're right. So, Matt, thanks a lot for joining us. I appreciate you you playing sick here. Uh, you know, playing Get a little better. hurt. Get better. Yeah. Uh, and and stay safe down at the ballpark. Say hi to everybody for me, and uh, hope to see you at some point soon. Yeah, thank you guys. Be well. All right, Matt Gelb you joins too, us, and we'll be back on Work of the Beat right after this. Looking to reach the sports fans of Philadelphia in a brand new way? This is Kevin Cooney. Each week, the Work of the Beat podcast with Mike Kern and I brings the hottest topics into this sports crazed town with the people and the events that shape the landscape. Now, your business could connect with those people by advertising on the Work of the Beat podcast. Join us at 267-546-7277 or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia, and you can be a part of it. That's 267-546-7277 or workingthebeat at gmail.com to join the Work in the Beat podcast family. Our thanks to Matt Gell for joining us here on Work in the Beat as we get set for baseball season, which begins one week from Friday at Citizens Bank Park. It'll be the Phillies and the Marlins kicking off a three-game set. Phillies had the Yankees then in the four games they split the time up, but the four games after that will have the Yankees uh, coming to. Yeah, but the Marlins kicked their ass last year, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They did. Yeah, so maybe I'm, they'll do to kick the Marlins. I'm ass. fascinated to see know. how this is going to work because I, you know, you can think about how the division's going to line up. You can't predict you it. Know. You, don't you don't know. know. And especially I mean, because the Braves look like the heavy favorites, and the and Braves don't, and the Braves don't have Freddie Freeman, so I don't know what they're going to look like. And no Donaldson in the middle of the lineup. Yeah, but they got Yasiel Puig. I mean, I, uh, whatever he's left, Kevin, whatever he's got Kevin, left. Look, all Bryce Harper has to do is get sick. Oh, and look, that takes I, two I, weeks out of the Phillies or two or whatever it would take. All of a sudden, that impacts them. I mean, you know, um, who knows? I mean, the only team that. It probably can is the Marlins. I mean, I would feel fairly safe saying that. I think any of the other four teams Have a could chance. maybe emerge as a playoff team or the division winner or whatever. Um, you know, are they having extra playoff teams this year? Or is it still the same? No, it's number? still the same number of five. Okay, so so three could technically three could make it, but uh, you probably know, maybe one, two. Probably two. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I always bet against. In a normal season, I would go against the Nats, yeah, because I just think last year, you know, it was their time. They whatever, but who knows? In a sixty-game sprint, you know, you got Strasburg gone, and and the the other guy gone, and well, Strasburg's there, but Rendon's gone. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. But I mean, last year they lost Harper and won the whole thing, so you know. Yeah, but you you don't have you don't have Zimmerman. uh, You don't have Ryan Zimmerman this year. You don't have. They got they got some holes to fill, uh, but the yeah. rota- but their top three in the rotation are so good. But Strasburg and and Scherzer yeah. and and Corbin that yeah that makes up a big difference. 
you wonder what the bullpen's going to look like. So that's a whole different story. Uh, hey, I wonder what the Phillies bullpen's going to look like. So, you know. <laughs> speaking, speaking of Washington, as we shift gears, the main story of the day is coming out of the district. Um, I almost said out of the DMV, which is what they call it down there. Um, they call it the DNV? Yeah. Why? District, Maryland, Virginia. Oh, uh, oh yeah. Boy, I'll tell you, right over my head. Jeez, okay. Uh, <laughs> ah, just, yeah, okay. A story in the Washington Post about the Redskins um, and 15 female employees of the Washington Redskins alleging sexual harassment. Um and misconduct. You've seen the club's play by play man on radio, uh, Larry Michael, suddenly resigned. Two members of the front office's uh, a player personnel staff uh, were fired. Um, and it creates a culture problem issue for an organization that's got a ton of problems already. And the logical question out there tonight, Mike, is could the NFL. Do to Daniel Snyder what the NBA did to uh, Donald Sterling and say you're going to sell this team quicker than you want. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what they can do. I mean, maybe they can. I, I, I have no idea, Kevin. I, I, you know, but I mean, this look. They've been a mismanaged franchise ever since Snyder's had them. Um, does it shock me that this story came out? No, I mean, I'm. It doesn't shock me in any sport, in any entertainment, sports, whatever anymore, business. I mean, how many people have we seen in the last five years get lose their oh, jobs sure. because of sexual harassment or sexual misconduct? So, no, it, it doesn't. Um, but, you know, the owner of the uh, Patriots, you know, about a year ago, was it? Or I don't know when it was. You know, he was up for soliciting, you know, sure. prostitute in Florida. I don't think he sold his team. Um I don't know. I, I guess if the other 29 owners walk into Goodell and say, hey, we want this guy going, I don't know what you can do with the NFL bylaws. Uh, you, you know, uh, how did the NBA uh, do it? It was they, pretty they, much It was pretty much Adam Silver saying you're out of here. Yeah. And and, the, and, that was be, and that was because of what? Remind me. Well, he made racial comments towards. Made right. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think, and this is going to sound callous, I don't mean it this way. But I think the racial comment, especially now, but that was then, carries more weight. I mean, the sexual harassment thing does carry weight. Don't don't. I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to dismiss it by any stretch. But right now, the the black issue is just so whatever. Yeah. I, what if Snyder says no? And what can they do? And that becomes a problem. You have two. You have three minority owners who are minor owners with minority shares of the team. Right. Who are trying to sell their f- shares of the team. How much does Snyder own? 60. Okay. So um, so he's either going to have to suck it up and buy the other 40, which is, you know, 40% of an NFL franchise is enormous. Um, does he have that? Does he have that kind of money? And that's a great question, too. The three, I, I the three people accused of misconduct are former director of pro personnel, Alex Santos, former director of uh, assistant director of pro personnel Richard Mann and radio play-by-play man Larry Michael and, and Snyder was not, but these guys are I, I in saw the inner circle. Inner, inner circle guys. Others whatever. others named in the report are former president of business operations Dennis Green, 
former Chief Operating Officer Mitch Gershman, who along with Michael were considered part of Snyder's inner circle, according to the Post. Yeah. No, no allegations against Snyder or longtime general manager Bruce Allen, who was fired in December after 10 years. Yeah. Um, I mean, look at it this way, Kevin. He said he wasn't going to change the name, and that's been going on for, what, forever. You know, he wasn't going and one hour he's changing the name. And it took about two weeks of protests or two weeks of people saying they were pulling their sponsor or whatever. Um, I just don't know how this works. I, I don't know, like, what's enough to tick off the NFL to the point of going to him and, and, and suggesting that he do that. And then I don't know Daniel Snyder well enough to think, is he just a guy that's going to say, screw you, it's my team? Um, uh, you know. And uh, who knows? And I, I got to say, Will Hobson and Liz Clark are the two reporters who had their bylines on it for the Washington Post. Um, and others were involved. Les, uh, Les Carpenter, who is their Redskin beat writer. Um, I'm sorry, Washington NFL beat writer. I, should, I have to stop saying that. Well, uh, you're going to say it like I say right. uh, San Diego or uh, right. Los Angeles. Yeah, San Diego right. Chargers. Kirk- I'll be calling them the, the Oakland Raiders for a while, you know. Kareem Copeland, Adam Kilgore, and Sam Forte. If you get a shot to read this, it is a fine piece of journalism. Yeah. Uh, like, just, it is detailed with text message accounts. It is detailed with specifics that when you read it, you kind of just, you, you, you picture it. But we've also been, Mike, in a number of, and I guess this is where I want, I don't want to say I want the conversation to go, but we've been in enough club locker rooms and clubhouses and we and around organizations which are n- not as advanced probably as they should be on these type of issues about especially you know with the amount of female reporters uh that have come in one of the one of the stories in the in the post article is the uh female reporter for the Redskins who was harassed by the one uh, the director of player personnel um you know, it, 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 it's. But how was she harassed? Like, see that that's what there's there's text a whole messages. all different levels of harassment. Text messages I, about yeah. dating. Well, um, if you text message a girl, a woman, you're you're an idiot. Uh, I mean, that you're you're just an idiot. And, and they went to. I think the one story was that the woman was. They were at a dinner in Indianapolis at the one steakhouse. Um, Murray's or Manny's, one or the other. In Indianapolis, not Minneapolis. Oh, Indianapolis is St. Elmo's. And apparently, they um, the guy had a few in him, and he, you know, he basically came up and, and made some crude comments. You know, right next. Guy, guys are stupid, Kevin. Yeah, we know this. We've been look. I've said this to people before over the course of my life, and look, you know me. I'm no Don Juan Romeo or anything like that. I am sure I have said something to people, not in the way I was trying to get with somebody or whatever, but, but just, you know, you, you're around people. You, you, you say things, joking, whatever. They say things to you. You don't mean – but I'm sure I've said something in my life that somebody could have went to somebody and said, you know, Mike said something sexist to me. And I'd be like, huh? Like, what do you mean? But – and in today's world, you know, you just can't even think about – no. Even, even if you don't mean it, even if you're just, you know, 
being a guy. But, uh, but I think, it, it, I think that's the, a horrible way sure. to put it. I don't and I, I think, that way, I but. think though, if you look at it, that the pattern is such that these guys knew exactly what they were doing. Oh, absolutely. That that's what I'm saying. I'm right. saying that this seems like it goes way past that. Oh, this is. But I I got to believe in almost like I said. How many entertainment people have we seen get in trouble over the last five years? Actors, producers, uh, the whole industry seemed like it was built on that. Um, we've seen guys in journalism lose their jobs. Matt Lauer comes to mind. Charlie uh, Rose. Other people. Yeah, um, lots of them. It's not like one isolated case. No. So I guarantee if we went around the NFL and maybe or, or NBA or, or, or whatever, um, I, you know, there's probably a, a fair amount of this and – this was probably a lot worse than most, and, the, and these guys hopefully will never work again, certainly in that business. But, you know, does that reflect on – if, if, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how the NFL – Well, obviously the NFL doesn't like it. There was, there was one thing that I did take out of today, and this had started late last night on, on, on social media. Um, there was one thing that I'll take out of it that I hope people listen, though. The name Jay Gruden was thrown around a lot on social media right. last night. Nothing in that story had Jay Gruden's name in it. Nothing. Right. Um, so there has to still be a little bit of a, everybody take a breath on this thing. You know, and I know in social media age, it's tough to ask that. But, you know, when the story came out, the story was thorough enough. It didn't need any exaggeration. And, you know, the idea that people had Dan Snyder and Dan Snyder is one of the people who was like, you know, basically running a prostitution ring, which was one of the things on Twitter and, and, and Jay Gruden was doing stuff and all that. You know, the story is bad enough. You don't have to embellish it. It was bad enough. And that's think, Twitter. Yeah. That's, that's Twitter, Kevin. It's it, the it, social media. It doesn't age. matter if Jay Gruden's name was it. it, it this is on its own is bad. Jay Gruden, you know, Jay Gruden, how, how can I put this? This is why Twitter is a bad thing. Yeah, it is. And everybody excuses it because it's Twitter. And we have the right to say, and most people on Twitter are not like that. There's a lot of good people on Twitter, but that's not what we remember. So will this have something happen? I, I, all I can say is as, an Eagle, as a Philadelphia person, you want Daniel Snyder to stay in charge of the Red Forever States. and ever, amen. Yeah, because you know, and I, look, I, I love Ron Rivera. Think he's a great. I'm not. Boy, saying he, what did he, he walk into? Oh my God! Well, but maybe <laughs> he can overcome that. You know, may, I mean, I think did, Jay Gruden won won ten games one year, didn't he? Or am I thinking of, of Jay Gruden won a Shanahan. division? Jay Gruden won a division. Both him and yeah, Shanahan so I mean, won a division. Yeah, so there's no telling but, that Rivera can't go there and. But I don't think they've won they, a playoff game since Joe Gibbs, in uh, uh, the second time around. Yeah, Shanahan didn't win one, I don't think, but with the year they had didn't RG3. Win one either. No. No, but I'm just saying, Ron Rivera is the type of guy, if Snyder just stays out of the way, which maybe he can't, that I think Ron Rivera can make them decent. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he can't. Well, and the better question is if somebody does end up owning him other than Daniel Snyder, and you have a good head coach in Ron Rivera there, now you may have something. You know, I well, mean, you got to have, have a quarterback. Well, I'm not sure about this quarterback. No. He, he may be. Dwayne, uh, Dwayne, he, uh, he, oh, Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins, right. Um, I, I'm not the biggest Dwayne Haskins fan. Uh, but neither am I. He, I. There's other guys I haven't been the biggest fans of who are pretty good. 
He had a pretty good last five or six games. Um, yeah, Turn the know. ball over a ton, though. Yeah, I, yeah look, you, you, you know, I, there's guys I didn't think were going to be that good that are really good. There's guys I thought were going to be good that have not. And, you know, quarterback's a funny position, man. You know, yeah. I still can't tell you about Carson Wentz. And I like Carson Wentz. I think he's a good quarterback, maybe a really good quarterback. Is he that kind of elite guy? I, You know, I don't know. Uh, we're going to find out. Um, but that's how a lot of quarterbacks in this league are. You know, we're, we're still finding out about them. Um, so, hey, I wish Ron – you know, I think Ron's a good man. Mm-hmm. And if anybody can sort of make that work, he probably can. Um, and I – Go ahead. No, no. I was going to say NFL training camps open in two weeks. Um, maybe, maybe. Pro- yeah, you know, probably. Yeah, probably. Uh, Seventy-two. What was the number today? Was it the NFL? I the think NFL the had NFL. seventy. Had seventy-two. 72 that tested yeah. positive. And, and we don't care anymore. That's the great part of all this. We the, the number comes out seventy-two. If the number seventy-two had come out like a month ago, everybody went, "Oh my god!" Now it's like, okay, seventy-two. It's amazing how our perspective on this, as as surge is going, is, and I get it. A lot of the people that test positive aren't going to get real sick. They're not going to die, but they could give it to somebody. They could. I mean, the numbers are alarming, to say the least. And Yet the, we forge ahead because that's what we do. And the um, NFL, yeah, go no, ahead. and the NFLPA released that today. They didn't say how many tests were conducted, right? Uh, but ESPN assumes if you have a 90-man training camp, 200, that would be 2880 total NFL players at the moment. 72 will represent 2.5% of the league's player population. Yeah. The NFLPA also released a market-by-market uh, a, uh, market look for its players on how the virus has been spreading. It showed Miami is the hottest spot with 4,000 cases daily. Close behind were Los Angeles, Arizona, and Dallas. And it yeah. showed, showed New England... Had the fewest possible tests over 14 days. Other markets on the low end included Jets, Giants, Bills, Lions, and Eagles. Um, yeah. So I mean, but let's say that number. Let's say just say the argument. What if the number had been 172? Would we react any differently? Well, and I think the I, I don't know, Mike. I think the bigger question is that, and JJ Watt tweeted about this today. Yep. He, um, yes, he did. There's no protocol set up. There's, there's no, no there's no guidelines. There's no this is how training camp's gonna work. This is how we're gonna do all this. Kevin, I told you three weeks ago. I said like tell me what the number is. Yeah, is this the number to so it's like the Secretary of Education says we wanna open schools. Fine. I'm for that. Now how do we do it? Oh, I don't know. Well, what is that? Like, what is that? When you say we're going to proceed, it's like saying I'm going to open my restaurant. Okay, how are you going to do it? Well, I don't know. I'm just going to let everybody in. No, you can't do that. But that's what sports are doing. I mean, I know they're trying to test. I know they're in a bubble in two of the sports. I, I get all that. But like you said, what is the, what's the plan? What's the plan? How, what's what, the plan? What are the, and, uh, is, are ever, is everybody going to be on the field at the same time? Is it? Uh, You're going to split this up? I mean, there's no... But when J.J. Watt starts tweeting stuff like that out, or putting stuff like that out, 
when a man you know, when I, a Walter Payne man of the year winner does it, it does carry weight within Park Avenue. It does. Yeah, and but I don't know what it's going to mean ultimately. Like I don't I I just don't know because it seems like the NFL is pretty much going ahead with what they want to do. Um because they have to. Because the president demands it, people demand it, the society demands it. Um and you're going to have three sports that are planning to start before the NFL ever does anything. I mean, plays a game. They'll, they'll be in training camp. Right? right. So maybe they're going to look and see how these other sports do, you know, and, and take a cue. You know, if baseball has to shut down or if the – you know, because that's the traveling one, which is most like what the NFL is going to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe maybe they have to – I'm sure the NFL has a contingency plan if something goes – gets messed up. I'm sure they do. Uh, um, I can't believe they don't. Well, it would push it back or, or whatever. Well, did um, well when since we're all moving on the plans, let's get to the NBA. Uh, Zion Williamson. And I don't want to. I don't want to cut you short here, but I got about five minutes. Okay. Zion so, Williamson. But, Zion Williamson leaves the bubble uh, right. to attend a family matter. Sixers. They're working out. Seems like everybody is okay, and everybody is hyperventilating over Ben Simmons taking jump shots on 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 Twitter and in video. Not me, baby. I know you're not. Were you, were you hyperventilating, yeah, hyperventilating last year when they showed you those videos you know, of summer and then he took like three jump shots in 65 games? You know. My let, let, him do it, let him do it in a game. Let, and, and not one game. Let him do it in five games. You know, let him do it as part of his regular. I don't want it to be a headline. Ben Simmons took a shot. Do you think it's more likely he'll take shots now, without, have, yeah. in, in a in a bubble setting? Let me ask you a question, Kevin. Yeah, and I understand what you're saying. I, I again, okay, yeah, so no fans can make fire, yeah. but everybody's going to be watching these games, so it's still going to be a reaction from people. What would the damn difference be if if you if you didn't take it the first sixty five because there's fans in the stands? as opposed to being a bubble. If that's the case, his mind is really goofed up. That's all I got to say. Then he's got an issue that I don't know. Because a jump shot is a jump shot is a jump shot is a jump shot. Whether you're in South Philly, you're in Sacramento, or you're in Orlando. You either take it or you don't. You know, it, it seems to me a very simple thing. And what he's basically told us is, I don't like taking jump shots. What the reason is, I don't know. He takes them in practice. Or, I mean, whenever he does these simulated kind of things he does. So, if he takes it there, why won't you take it in the game? I don't know. My favorite story out of Orlando, by the way, is the Jimmy Butler. Uh, well, there's two. The Jimmy Butler uh, working on his dribbling at 3 in the morning and having the snitch hotline called on him that people thought maybe he had something going on in his room. You heard about that, correct? I, I did now. Uh-huh. The second is the the NBA. Yeah. The NBA had to send out a memo today about like uh, pr- protocol um, within the bubble. Uh, you know, wearing mask around the campus and all that, and you know that type of typical stuff. My favorite part of it though was they had told players to basically uh, be appropriate when somebody delivers food to your door within the bubble. Okay. So basically, okay. not to answer with no clothes on. Yeah, okay. I'll tell you, look, I. Yeah, Is this a big problem? <laughs> I, I I don't know. Maybe guys don't like to be dressed in their rooms. I I, I, 
I mean, I went to John Chaney's room once, and all he had on was skivvies. So you never you told know. me that story. Oh yeah, I told that story many <laughs> times. Um, the, the chicken in the, the the chicken in the coffee pot. Oh yeah. Oh, that's a. <laughs> I I went to his room. We were in, we were we were in Dayton. And then they were going to play. They played Dayton. They played. Then they played Xavier. So we were out there for like four days, and we were staying right. in this hotel halfway between or whatever. I don't know. And one day I went out and got some chicken. He liked chicken. And I brought it back to his room, and I was like, hey, John, I got some chicken for you. And John's like, oh, no, he already had chicken. from <laughs> and, he, and he was keeping it warm in his coffee pot. And he, and he had his skivvies on. That's what he had on. And then he showed me some Bruno Molly shoes he had bought. You know, the OJ shoes. I was just going to say the OJ shoes. <laughs> yeah, he had a pair of Bruno Mollies, and he told me how he was going to wear them once and return them. Yeah, he was all, pr- he was all proud of himself. It was... You know, you know, you know. I only have one story that's similar to that. Was I walked in on a, uh, I walked in. To, I was the pool reporter one time at Citizens for a, uh, for a game, uh, and there was a controversial call, and uh, so I ended up having to go to the umpire's room. And I walked in, and uh, Dan, who's the uh, the clubhouse attendant, said, "Hey, come on in." And there's Joe West, butt naked. Yeah. Standing in the middle. That's a, that's a nice sight. Uh, you should have asked him. You should have asked him if he wanted to come to our sports writers' dinner. Who, Joe? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, while you had him there. <laughs> hey, listen. I, I, gotta, I don't want to cut anything, no. but I I got to go. Um, I understand. I was going to wrap it up right now. Yeah, I hope you have hot water, and I hope I have my car back. Yeah, Mike. Mike had a fender bender. I have no hot water at my house right now. So, uh, Tuesday. We get uh, Spike Eskin here, 4 o'clock, Mr. Kern, by the way, on a Tuesday. Okay. Um, I hear you. So uh, Spike will join us to talk about the NBA restart. So thank you, Mr. Kern. Ask him about guys showing up naked at the door. I don't want to (laughs) know. Okay. Thanks, Spike. Thanks to Matt Gelb for joining us. Thank you for joining us. This has been Work of the Beat. Well, you went.